Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Thanks, man. Oh, you didn't have anything. Oh, cool. When I was in Wales, God gave me a message on this theme very, very pointedly, gripped me with it. And then when I went to Chicago recently to teach their leaders and their churches, same message, but a very different angle, same exact theme. I was gripped with it. And so I delivered it there. So I'm like, well, I probably should deliver it here too. So when I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord did want me to speak on this passage. It's about the written word of God and engaging the scriptures and the importance of the word. So we're going to talk about that tonight. I think that's appropriate. We're talking so much about the lively manifestations of the spirit being filled with the spirit that relates intimately with the written scriptures. So I want to talk about that for a bit before we then close things off in a blaze of glory in worship. Uh, And right before we do that, one more thing. I do want to give testimony to the Lord. I thank God for touching our children with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And through their lives, there have been some adults who've been significantly touched by the Spirit also. And there's other testimonies of people being touched by the Spirit uh, in our churches who are not acquainted with the things of the Spirit in this way. Even uh, through different streams, not through this recent outpouring with the children, but even otherwise. Some folks have really been touched by the Spirit, and it's opened up a whole new world for them. And we're really thankful for that. Oftentimes when people, uh, when, when Christians do a lot of the more discipleship emphasis, more home church emphasis type of thing, it's oftentimes in a, in a more evangelical setting. They don't put as much emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. It's not that they don't, but they don't put as much on that as perhaps we would or as perhaps, perhaps they should. Uh, And then on the charismatic end, among charismatics, there's often less emphasis on a more biblical kind of discipleship or church, I've noticed. They're more into the big thing. And I I don't mean that as a criticism. It might be, but I don't mean it as that. Uh, It's just the tendencies. I think it's the tendencies of the flesh. We off the battle. Uh, The enemy gets in and tries to get us to do things. So it's really part of our vision to be really charismatic, but also to be really emphatic about being family on mission and to disciple within a family setting rather than a more organizational hierarchical setting. The reason for that is not because we found that to be the format that we like, but we believe it's biblical. And so we're trying to do that. So let me just remind you that that's a big part of our value system. I hope that's clear because I, I got to keep rocking on. I'm also thankful for these young people who are so willing to give testimony in public and to have courage to be people of the spirit because that's un, unusual. And so I really thank you and I thank the Lord for that. I, I'm thankful for our parents to foster spiritual life in their homes. Uh, you guys are to be commended. Uh, there's, there's great parents here. You know, your kids may not have come up to testify, but you're doing the same exact things at home. Uh, there's families who couldn't make it tonight. And I'm really grateful for them. I'm grateful for you raising your children in the Lord. Praise God. I'm thankful for you. Thanks, Mike, for having the idea to give testimonies tonight. Uh, that, uh, that was your idea, if I remember right. And so we did that. And that's great. It's so healthy and helpful to hear testimonies. Praise God. I'm also thankful to be here with you tonight, today, this afternoon. I'm thankful that my plan landed, sa- landed safely on Monday. <laughs> huh? What did I say? Plan? Huh. I'm thankful my plan landed, landed, my plane landed safely on Monday. Uh, there were some questions about that. <laughs> yeah. So... We were flying from Colorado to Chicago to catch, I'm not going to tell the whole story. So we were flying from Chicago, uh, from Colorado to Chicago to catch another connection. We had to turn around in flight and come back. There were some mechanical issues and there was a little drama involved. And so I'll just say, thank the Lord we landed safely uh, because we were all texting loved ones at one point. So we landed. Thank you, Lord. You know what? Could you guys, you know, as we travel, as these guys travel, 
There's no fear. When I got on planes after that, later that day, a couple of other planes, there was zero question about flying and landing. I had no problem whatsoever um, in my heart. And, you know, sit, fly, flying is still the safest way to travel, statistically speaking. But I really believe it was the enemy attack. You know, our family on the ground had some vehicular dangers and different weird things going on. Let's pray for one another. When these guys are traveling, that these guys we prayed for, of course, we just laid hands on them. I really believe in that. That's significant. I believe blessing was uh, imparted to them. Please keep us in mind as we travel on these different ministry trips. I had an awesome trip in Colorado, I was able to speak about the kingdom and make a deposit in a little bit more of a conventional church, but their hearts are hungry for the kingdom. They were asking me questions about our work, which I didn't expect. I really felt like it was mission accomplished, which was a bit of a surprise for me. So I really felt good about it. And then all that stuff that happened on the way home, I felt was uh, some retaliation. So I really appreciate you guys keeping us in mind as we travel. Yeah. Yeah, that time the flight attendant comes up to you shaking and says, can you help me if I'm knocked unconscious? That time, yeah. So it was, it was interesting. But we landed like on a pillow. It was gentle and wonderful. And then had to deal with the uh, agents on the ground there. So that was interesting too. I, I, don't, I, I mean, uh, the, 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 what do you call the uh, airline agents who are rebooking us without as much sympathy as I wanted. With my stomach hurting over just what happened. I don't want to be a difficulty to you. I couldn't help it. I need to be re, rebooked. Okay, thank the Lord. We're all here together again. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. Are you guys ready? Yes. Let's listen to, l- listen to the word of the Lord. Okay, when I say that, I mean the scriptures. The spoken word of God. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and they bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember, he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful people, be crucified, and then rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, They reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Miriam, the mother of Jacob, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, So he went away amazed at what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near And began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in action and speech 
before God and all the people. And how the chief priests, our chief priests, and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who had Excuse me, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going to go farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them while he was breaking the bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see, I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So a couple of observations from this text of scripture I want to make, and then I'll I'll, I'll teach some of the things I've written down from my notes. Um, I want you to notice, first of all, how he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, there was a moment of some kind of supernatural transaction. It doesn't say if he laid his hands on them. I imagine he did, but I'm not sure. But he did something to enable them to see what was written in a way with their hearts that they couldn't see without his help 
for us without the Holy Spirit. I think it was Eileen who was saying, now after this, was it you who said this? After this encounter with God, when I read the Bible, it comes alive to me. Was that you or was that one? That was you, Hannah. Forgive me, dear. Okay, so it was Hannah. But it was one of you. Perhaps it's uh, something you're experiencing, uh, you know, others who didn't testify to that. But that's one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit, having this, this deeper connection with God, is that the Scriptures come alive. It's not just a duty for devotions. It's God's book, and you hear His voice and see His Son when you read it and engage the Scriptures. Right? I'm believing that God is opening up our minds to understand the scriptures on a whole new level in our churches. There's something about the scriptures that's going to be renewed in our hearts when we read them with a supernatural relationship with God. Jesus himself is the living word. He's called the word in John 1. He is the message. There's just something about that that comes to us through the written word by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I believe, on the one hand, we are being called to engage the scriptures in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in a whole new way. God's going to be speaking a whole new richness into our spirits when we read the scriptures and when we speak to one another about the scriptures in communion with one another and in communion with the Holy Spirit, right? I'm asking for this, for that spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. There's an authority that's rooted in the Word of God and there's a war against the authority of the Word of God in the churches, even many of the believing churches in the Western world. We have to fight that battle against the powers of the air that come against the authority of God's Word by believing the Scriptures ourselves. In the presence and power of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen. And in obedience. And in speaking forth the word in the Holy Spirit. Such great power in the written word of God. When spoken out loud in faith and obedience. Amen. A very wise man. A very, very prophetic man. Said to me just days before he died. Many years ago. This was in Wales. Brother Ernest, you've heard me refer to him on occasion. Um, On his deathbed, um, he laid hands on me as well as uh, some other young people in the faith. But one of his parting words to us over this several day period was a prophecy that he received, a word from the Lord. And that is this, that the the world is about to see the revelation of the power of the spoken word of the Lord. Right? I'm going to say it again. Uh, This is quoting Brother Ernest, a prophetic word. The world is about to see the revelation of the power of the spoken word of the Lord. Now, Brother Ernest was one who would receive prophetic data often. He saw the Lord at one point, came right into his house, walked outside in the garden, As he was studying the word, saw him pass by and then opened the door behind him and stood there in the kitchen. Pretty cool experience. Turns around with his face covered, looking through his fingers at Jesus. His eyes are ablaze, dressed all in white. He's pointing at him. And he says, feed my sheep. He turns and walks out. That's cool. But the living word comes to us through the written word by the power of the Holy Spirit with no difference in the essential presence of Jesus from what Brother Ernest saw in his kitchen to what we have right now in this room. Right now. The word of God, the written word, the word of the Lord spoken out in faith, obedience and in the Holy Spirit. That's the manifestation of Jesus himself. Ain't no difference between that and Jesus because Jesus is the word. Come on now. Jesus is in his word. That's something else. That's another observation I want to bring you just from that reading I just gave from Luke 24. Okay. Jesus himself, live in person, in the flesh, 
alive from the dead, was walking with these two disciples on this road to this village named Emmaus. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Right now, we might want to say that's because they're spiritually dull, or it was before Jesus opened up their mind to understand the scriptures. And, and I, I think that's true. But, but you have to understand something, that Jesus took time with them not to say hello and tapping them on the head. It's me. I'm alive. Why don't you believe? First, he explained the scriptures. That was his assignment. More than the tangible revelation of his presence was, you've got to see me in light of the scriptures. If you don't, I won't let you see me live and in person. You can't see me detached from the written scriptures. Or I refuse to be seen. Even if I'm standing here. Come on now. So once they lined that up, you understand... He was free to reveal himself, and then he disappeared, and their testimony was not, wowie, zowie, we saw him alive on the road. Their testimony was, our hearts burned within us when he was walking with us, explaining the scriptures. That's what made their hearts burn. The word of God spoken out loud in the power of the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of Jesus. And there's a mystery there that God wants us to uncover. It's not a mystery that we can't articulate because I just did. It's a mystery that's unveiled only when we experience the reality. Right? Jesus explained by the scriptures in the power of the Holy Spirit is Jesus the living word. Right on. So God is calling us to engage the written scriptures as the written word of God, bringing us into a communion with Jesus as the living word. Jesus is the living word of God. Words express love. They express truth. They express life. Words are very important. The words we speak to one another are very important, right? God created us to convey uh, truth, to convey information, and to speak to one another, uh, to listen to God, to speak what God is saying, and to speak to one another. Prophetic words, uh, reading the scriptures out loud, words of blessing, words of encouragement, words are powerful. Because God's own son is called the word. And we're made in his image. So the sheer fact that our words are powerful communicates and, and uh, symbolizes the fact that God's own son is the living word. God is communicative. Right. What am I trying to say here? Words are not just sounds that come out that have dictionary definitions attached to them. Words carry life. So much so that the one supreme word is not just a sound. He's a man who existed as God's son from forever. Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the communique of the otherwise invisible father. Right. So so ultimately, word is not just something that happens physically and audibly. Word is Jesus. That's why when we twist and pervert our power to communicate, we can bring curses and alignment. I don't mean you and me, we, I mean humans, we. We can, we can kill people with our words. We could curse through the power of the occult. We can, we can damage young people through the things that are spoken over them. And wars can start and lives can change. And all things can happen simply through communication, right? Because God created us in his image. So ultimately, Jesus himself is God's message to us. He is the word become flesh, as we read about in John chapter one. Right. And I think I've talked with you before. Uh, I believe I've spoken about it here in, in places like Genesis 15, where the word of the Lord comes to Abram. Do you remember that story? It says the word of Yahweh comes to Abram and he speaks to Abram and promises him you know, the, the, the descendants like the sand of the sea, right? 
And then it says the word of the Lord came to him again and took him outside. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Who took him outside? The word of the Lord took him outside. If you read that passage carefully and just keep your grammar consistent, like who's the he that took him outside? Well, the antecedent to that, the subject is the word spoken previously. In that passage, the word was not just something he heard prophetically. It was a person appearing to him. The word of the Lord. That's what John got a hold of in John chapter 1 when he said, in the beginning was that word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There's times the prophets, it says, the word of the Lord came to me, and you could tell they're hearing something. There's other times it's not as simple as they're hearing something. There's other times it's like, there's a person standing there called the word. That's not a Greek concept. That's a Hebrew concept when John says, in the beginning was the word. Talking about the Son of God appearing as a person to these prophets. Jeremiah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And in a minute it says, Yahweh reached forth his hand. During this exchange of the word. You know, the word is speaking to him. And then it says, the Lord reached out and touched my mouth. Oh, suddenly there's a person standing there? When did that happen? Well, that's his... That's his interaction with the Word. The Word was not just a message. The Word was a person standing there, the Son of God. So when we speak that message from the written Word, it's none other than the Son of God himself manifesting in the power of the Spirit. So the living, glorious Word of God, Jesus, relates very closely to the written scriptures, okay? We know enough to say that this book is not God. It's paper and it's ink. We all get that, all right? We're not uh, like Bible idol worshipers. Like symbolically, the Bible is everything and, you know, it it distracts us from Jesus himself. I've heard people complain about some people who, who are so concerned about what the Bible says they don't know Jesus himself. And they're like, don't just worship your Bible. You have to relate to Jesus. So I'm thinking, how do people do that? Because the Bible does not draw us to a book to get distracted from Jesus. The Bible points to Jesus constantly. It talks about Jesus. It testifies to encounters with Jesus and the person and the lordship of Jesus. It's always pointing to Jesus. So we're not, I don't believe we're in danger of confusing these two things. But we understand well enough that this is a written book. But the living word has a special relationship to this book, right? He does not want to be known outside of what this book testifies. This is a special book. It's God's book. We have a treasure that we often don't take advantage of because we take it for granted. We're free to buy them, sell them, read them. You know, there's different covers. There's different uh, translations and We have a wealth at our fingertips, but how many people engage the scriptures day and night, believe them and obey them and speak them? That's that's the Jesus life right there. Guys, God wants to open our minds to the scriptures in a whole new way, especially as the spirit is moving in our midst. It's one of the things to which the spirit's testifying. In fact, if I remember right, this, this moment of outpouring when it happened with the children, at least in your home, I know that... There were things happening in other house churches and also like in the trip to Pensacola. But you have the kids or the young people start by searching the scriptures for the times that the glory came. Right. It's so cool. They were searching the scriptures. I guess they gave the things they found. Then you started to pray for one another. It's so interesting the way that the spirit responded to the word of the Lord as it's written in the scriptures. So the word become flesh is not a book. And the book is not the word become flesh. But Jesus refuses to be the living word without connection to the written word. So we know that the letter without the spirit kills, the spirit gives life. Right? We know that. So the written word without the Holy Spirit creates religion that kills and puts pressure on people. Kills and puts pressure on people. (laughs) Puts pressure on people and kills. But you know what? The Bible doesn't talk about obeying it without the Holy Spirit and without God's own presence. 
The Bible itself talks about having a living relationship, powerful encounters, the gifts of the Spirit, the miracles. That's, that's in the Bible. So if we're obeying the Bible without personal relationship with God, we're not obeying the Bible. <laughs> right? If we're, if we're involved in the Scriptures without having encounter with God, without Moriach Naiman and everything else the Spirit does, then we're not really engaging the Scriptures to begin with. The Scriptures testify to Jesus. The Scriptures as written documents never claim to be the living Word, Jesus Himself. But neither do they endorse any other kind of testimony that's not in harmony with them. The Scriptures are good. They're inspired. They're profitable. They're special. They constitute God's book. We should read them and believe them and obey them. We should be a Holy Ghost scribal culture. I don't care about going to school by man's standards. I care about being people of the book in the Holy Ghost. There'll be no more mature and rich fashion of prophetic community. Prophecies coming forth that are right from God's heart and that are sharp and they're accurate. You'll find that nowhere else than in a community that's engaged in the word, but in the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't know what it's like to have people engaging the scriptures without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the scriptures testify to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're honest and engage the word, we'll have no problems. If our hearts are pure without agenda, we'll simply want to do what the Bible says. And the Holy Ghost will help us. The living word comes to us through the written scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. So much so that Jesus was prevented from being recognized until they understood what the scripture said about the Messiah. Because I don't want you to see me outside of those stories and those principles from the, from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms that said the Messiah must first suffer and then rise to glory. If you don't understand the scriptures that way, I don't want you understanding that I'm the one walking with you on the road. Because if you don't know the scriptures, you won't know me. So first he put that in order. And then he revealed himself. And then he could afford to disappear. And they're like, that's what made our hearts burn. The one thing that made us hopeless. We thought he was the one. And then we were discouraged. And he showed us. He didn't just say, ta-da, I'm alive. Like I surprised everybody. He rather said, guys, this was written all along. This is what the scriptures testified to. This is what was always being said. This was what was always being prophesied. You have to understand the scriptures. There was something blinding you before. Religion was blinding you. Your own agenda was blinding you that you couldn't see a suffering Messiah who would rise in glory. So before you know me, even as the living Christ, you have to understand what the scriptures say and what they mean. That's the call to us. Moving on. Jesus refuses to be the word without connection to the written word, as I already said. Why is that? Because if Jesus is the word, then we should expect written scriptures to reveal him. We should expect God to make us concerned with words that he's spoken through his apostles and prophets. Amen. Another reason, because there are many different spirits out there. In the world. And they're saying many different things. A lot of them are religious. And dancing in the church. And whispering all kinds of things. About Jesus. About the kingdom. About church. About theology. About everything else under the sun. There's all kinds of spirits trafficking. And we need therefore a standard written down outside of ourselves. To test all these different ideas and doctrines and prophecies. We need the written word and we need to be responsible about it, not because we want to be academic, but because we want to know Jesus as he is in himself, not as we would create him to be. And that's one of the ways that the written word is being attacked for its authority in the church. Very subtly, this is one of the tricks of the devil. I'll talk about it more in a moment. But he tries to get God's people 
to accept something contrary to the word while making them feel they're being faithful to the word. Very, very important. (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) The enemy wants God's people, and he does this by an evil inspiration. He wants God's people to accept truth, actually falsehood in the name of truth, that contradicts the written scriptures while giving us the feeling we're being loyal to the scriptures by embracing something twisted. Happens all the time, man. Furthermore, Jesus is usually physically hidden from our natural eyes. Most of us don't see Jesus physically standing there. Maybe many of us don't. Maybe all of us don't. (laughs) But we have a book whose message that if we believe it by the Holy Spirit, it's essentially the living word coming to us. Not the, the ink on the page, but what it says, penetrating our hearts by the Spirit. That's Jesus. That's not just information. That's Jesus. That's why I'm, I'm really into preaching the gospel in its full dimensions accurately. Because I, I'm not being nitpicky. That gospel fully explained and proclaimed and expounded That's Jesus. He's called the Word. He is the message. You got a little gospel, you got a little Jesus. You got a partial gospel, you got a partial Jesus. You have a full gospel, you got Jesus. It's Jesus is the one I want, and this is what he's chosen to give us. A book. The people in the first century, you understand? The people that were talked about in these scriptures, and and was it in the passage we read today? Um... I forget where I read it. I don't remember if it was on my own or it was from this passage, like this morning in my own devotions. Uh, anyway, that they said, um, whoever was speaking was saying, like, why we've heard this and we've heard that from the law. We've heard this from the law. We've heard this from the law. Why were they saying that? Because most of them couldn't read. So they'd attend synagogue and they'd hear the law read out loud. And that was very precious to them. Like they couldn't read it for themselves. And if they could, they couldn't go to the store and buy these books. And they certainly couldn't look it up on their smartphones. It was not available. Even people who could read, it was this huge expense to create and buy books. It wasn't a, it wasn't a textual society like we have now. So they would cherish the word. Everything they heard, they would hear it and hear it and hear it and talk about it and remember it so that they could have it in their hearts. We should cherish the word in such a way. God has given us these documents that we would have them, that we would read them, that we would memorize them, that we would preach them, understand them, and obey them in the Holy Spirit. Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. So Jesus comes by the written word. All right, so a couple more things here. Uh, To put it negatively, my conclusion is we can't relate to Jesus as the living word without the written scriptures. The more effective we get with the scriptures, the more about Jesus we know. Without, if we're weak in the scriptures, we're weak in Jesus. That's the negative version. The positive version is we can and do relate to Jesus as the living word through the written scriptures by the spirit. These writings become the depository of glorious, vibrant truth. That brings us by the Spirit into face-to-face communion with none other than Jesus himself. King of kings. Lord of lords. God's Son. Face-to-face by the Scriptures through the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Jesus is King and we have the Word by the Spirit through these Scriptures. Let me say a few things about the war against the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word is always under attack. Of course it is in every generation and ours is no exception. Demons inspire people even inside the church and their ideas inside and outside the church both. 
And these ideas, where did I lose track of my sentence? Uh, They're inspiring people and their ideas that are effectively undermining the primacy of God's word in the church. There's many ways this happens. And by doing so, they're undermining Jesus himself. Now, there are extreme versions of this. Like there's a, there's a popular book uh, that, um, that is about grace. I forget the author offhand. I don't know if I would say it anyway, but it doesn't matter. I don't remember. And, you know, one of his points is that we really have to understand the gospel. And by doing so, we have to understand that Jesus' words don't apply to us anymore. That was Old Covenant. And I'm like, dude, I pray for your repentance. I would not want to stand before that man on that day, having taught God's people. Ignore the words of Jesus. That was Old Covenant. So that's an extreme version, but that's out there. That's taught. Now, not all the grace preachers say that. They don't, but some do. So when Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. I've I've seen people say this. That's nonsense. Like, ow, I don't, you know, that's a little, wow, dude, come on. right, now I understand that's extreme. There are other ways that the words of Jesus and the written scriptures are eroded. One of the main ways, of course, is tradition that replaces the commandments of God. There are extreme forms of tradition where the the entire church system is created, adding all kinds of things that make us, uh, that give us requirements on how to get forgiven. You know, priesthood that we have to go through, sacraments, all these things that are absolutely not rooted in the scriptures, not part of the apostles' teaching, that get taught authoritatively as if they were the word of God. Both Roman, Catholic, and Protestantism. We all have our tendencies toward traditions that replace the word of God. The Jews had them, these traditions, the Gentiles have them. We have them even as part of the rhythm of our flesh. We want to create little systems that inoculate us from the the raw authority of God's word and the submission to King Jesus that they require, while also giving us the sense that we're being pious and conforming to the word. Right? Jesus told his closest comrades, his disciples in Matthew 16, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, I'm not just talking to the extremists of all who create the traditions outright and make you feel like you're obeying God when you disobey his word. I'm talking to you, the, the, the purest covenant keepers available to me today. Okay, I'm paraphrasing Jesus, talking to the disciples. You guys are the purest form of what I got right now, and I'm warning you, be careful not to let this religion in. Don't let this spirit in that enables you to disobey my word while feeling like you're the ones who are truly loyal to it. That is all over the place in the church today. We have opened the door wide to the leaven. I don't mean to be too negative. The positive version is, we can do this if we want. We have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit in one another. We can do this if we want. But we must be aware of the dangers and the nature of the war. Another form of of the enemy eroding the authority of God's word is cessationism. Cessationism or the spirit of cessationism. It's kind of a big theological word, but cessationism means it's the belief that the gifts of the spirit have ceased. They no longer exist today. Right? So the spirit does not work overtly, miraculously, manifestly. That was only for the time of the apostles And now that we have the Bible, we don't need the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that cessationism is a way to not just douse the flames of the spirit, but also to make us feel like we have a special theology that we really understand the word of God by denying the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just teaching that the spirit no longer operates this way. It's giving you this sense that you can look at the scriptures that talk about miracles and the manifest presence of God and healing and exorcisms and and praying in tongues and all kinds of other signs and wonders. You could read all about that and deny it while feeling loyal to the Word. While the Word speaks about it and commands it and describes it and encourages us to cultivate it. And invites us into it. That's in this Bible. 
that cessationism says, if you really understand your Bible, you'll deny all that because you're not a flaky charismatic. So it's not only teaching that there's a spirit there that gives us a feeling, an emotional posture that we can deny portions of scripture while feeling like we're being loyal to the Bible. That is so evil. To, To deny portions of scripture, to deny their modern relevance, all in the name of fidelity to the scriptures. That is wicked, and it's happening all over the place. Not just about the the gifts of the Spirit, but about the Ephesians 4, 5 ministries. Mm -hmm. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's some people that are like, yeah, pastors for sure. Apostles, no way. Are you telling me people are still writing scripture nowadays? Oh, those those crazy charismatics. But the Bible talks way more about apostles than pastors. They're more necessary to the church. If you had to choose, which we shouldn't have to, there are Pentecostals who accept the gifts of the Spirit, but do not accept the gifts of the Lord in Ephesians 4. That's another form of cessationism, giving us the idea that we're being loyal to the Bible by denying all these passages that talk about apostles and prophets, apostles and prophets, apostles and prophets. So we could read those passages of Scripture and go, oh, praise the Lord, that doesn't apply to me anymore. Thank God I know the word. And that part of the word doesn't apply to me anymore. Who heard of an apostle going around? Oh, so praise God. But thank God I got the word. It's like, what are you reading then, this word? Maybe that's the idolatrous image of the Bible that looks better on a, uh, on a table as a decoration rather than something you're actually going to believe and live out. What about these teachings of grace that deny that there's any forms of judgment anymore until Jesus comes back? Or all these calls to holiness that talk to people about how we're supposed to behave. That they don't apply to us anymore. There you go again. I can read all these passages and then come up with a twisted way of working my way out of them. All in the name of really understanding the scriptures. It's wicked. It's the spirit of cessationism. They may accept the gifts haven't ceased. But they're saying other things have ceased. That are right in the, in the word. And then they read them and deny them in the name of being loyal to the word. Guys, there's a war going on. We don't want to be in any way engaged in that way of thinking. We want to reject the spirit of cessationism. We want to accept the full counsel of God. Everything written to apply to us. And finally, just as a quick example. There's also this, this idea that takes uh, the, the, the prophecies of the future... And put them all in the past. So again, I'm reading all these passages that prophesy into the future. And I'm denying them saying, that already happened. So I don't have to worry about that. I mean, the scriptures in the New Testament consistently urge us to holy living because Jesus is coming back. Like over and over and over again. But when... When this teaching comes forth that it really doesn't apply to us, they don't even talk about the coming of the Lord. They don't talk about the urgency. They don't talk about the fact that we're going to stand before God and therefore should live holy now and that there is trouble coming, there is tribulation. All They just say, well, because we understand what the scriptures really teach, we can deny all these passages as being relevant all in the name of being loyal to the scriptures. It's a trick in the brain that, that enables us to deny the scriptures in the name of being loyal to them. The, the word of God and its authority is being attacked in our day. And we are not going in that direction. We want to accept the counsel of God in the scriptures, in the power of the spirit, and yield our lives to the king, Jesus, who is the living word. And I now have to close. The benefits of engaging the scriptures. One face-to-face communion with Jesus. Amen. Number two, we become happy in the truest, bluest sense of the word. Now, this was Reagan. I think I got this right. You quoted Psalm 1 earlier. So at the beginning of that psalm, 
How blessed is the man. How happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but stands in the path of, and does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. How happy, happy, happy. When we engage the scriptures with all of our hearts, we are happy and blessed. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it shall be granted to you. Comfort in difficult times, like Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Right? He comforted their hearts, not by just appearing to them, but by explaining the scriptures. The psalmist said, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. It's the great alternative to persecution, tribulation, trouble, discomfort, and problems. The word, the word, the word, the word by the Spirit. Why do I have to read the book? Because the living word comes to us by the Spirit through these writings. Most difficult time of my life, a nightmare. Psalm 119 absolutely got me through, not just to survive, but to thrive. That, that Psalm 119 is the psalm about the word. So I just, because Charles CPL put it to music, I memorized it. I have it memorized, and I would just do, go through it every day when we were going through that nightmare, just through the whole psalm. And it was absolutely life and encouragement to my soul supernaturally. There's no way to do it without the word spoken to our spirits by the Spirit. The living word through the scriptures creates the true community. The gospel creates the community of faith, the family of God. It only comes by the word, right? Our style, our method of doing church, to me, is not a method that we've chosen as opposed to other methods. We have unique things we do, big deal, right? But what we're going for, family on mission, where our meetings do a certain thing, where people share the spirit, and then on mission, there's a certain way we want to do discipleship and church planting. Okay, these are qualities that we read about in the word of God. They're not things we've just chosen to do because we think they're effective or they're our style. To me, it's not a style issue. It's a Bible issue. When the gospel is proclaimed and expounded in its apostolic fullness, it creates the community of faith. And that's all I'm going to say about this because my time is up. We have to get to worship. So let's, let's stand together and let me just pray about this with you as the worship leaders come up. May the Lord give us wisdom on how to engage His Word on a deeper and more holistic level. Lord, we're asking You now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Moved by Your Spirit to draw us to the Scriptures like pilgrims kneeling by a stream, thirstily drinking night and day. Reveal the Scriptures to our hearts in a whole new way. We pray, give us understanding. Open up our minds to understand the scriptures. And through them, may we encounter Jesus, manifest Jesus, live Jesus, and preach Jesus. For your name's sake, amen.